2: Swing and a long Deep left. Way back. Goal. welcome in to another baseball America podcast I'm Kyle Glazer we're continuing our team top 10 prospect series today with the Chicago White Sox we're going to look at Colson Montgomery's first full season what to make of Oscar Colas and why Sean Burke is an interesting pitching prospect to keep an eye on to do all that I am joined by Bill Mitchell. Bill, how many years have you done the system for us now? Just this is my second year that I did it for the White Sox. I remember talking to you last year about the White Sox as this up-and-coming team. They'd won 93 games. they reached the playoffs, uh, back-to-back years for the first time in their franchise's history, which is kind of amazing considering they've been around since 1901. And they had this great young core in the majors, and everything seemed like it was looking up. And then last year happened. The team got hit hard by injuries. Tony La Russa made some managerial decisions that certainly raised some eyebrows. He ended up stepping down for health reasons during the season and then stepping down for good at the end of the year. Miguel Cairo came in at the very end. The team played a little better, but they still finished 81 and 81, a very, very disappointing season for a team that was thought to be a potential World Series contender. Pedro Grafal was hired as their new manager. So there's there some change happening within this organization. When you look at the talent in the big leagues, the talent in the farm system? How do you kind of assess the organization right now?
3: Well, the first year I did it, which uh, a year ago when we were having this conversation, it was one of the worst organizations. I, I don't remember if they were 29 or 30, one or the other. Uh, so they were among the worst. I really like their top 10 now. Uh, they had a good draft. They uh, brought in some talent. And a lot of play- or several players took steps forward forward. Uh, to get themselves into the top 10. Now, once you get past the top 10, or really once you get past about 15 or so, it drops off pretty quickly. It's still a very thin organization. But I think it's uh, very promising that uh, up through around 15 or maybe even 20, it's a, a pretty solid organization prospect-wise.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned the top 10 being promising. The thing is, this is a team that doesn't need a wave of prospects to come up and change the trajectory of this franchise. You still have Luis Robert. You still have Aloy Jimenez. You still have Tim Anderson. You still have Yohan Moncada. Obviously, he's he's struggled a little bit. Andrew Vaughn had a good year last year offensively. So... There's talent on this team. They don't have nine holes they have to fill. And you go on pitching side too. You look at Dylan C Lucas Giolito had a down year, but he's still a good pitcher. Michael Kopech made 25 starts last year, did okay. So again, there are players here. And so even if they only get a couple guys out of their top ten to contribute, that should be enough. And and there are certainly some really talented players in this organization. And that brings me to their number one prospect, Colson Montgomery. Montgomery was their first round pick in 2021 known as a multi-sport standout high school player, uh, Midwest and went out this year and had a, a really, really good first full season. He was one of those guys very early in the year. There was some buzz about as, Hey, this is, this is a real player and someone that you should get on the top 100 and, and keep moving up.
3: There was no doubt that he's a number one prospect in the organization, uh, I know he got to started a little bit late because he had an injury during spring training, missed some time, but uh he's he's the real thing. The big question we always get and you get this with any shortstop that's taller than okay. 6'2" is can he stay in shortstop at shortstop? And I think back to Corey Seager and I'm not I'm not putting a Corey Seager comp on Montgomery. But uh, the same questions came up about Corey Seager when he was in the fall league. I was doing a fall league prospect list, and I asked l- a lot of scouts about Corey Seager, and they said, "I think he's going to grow out of out of shortstop. He's not going to be able to stay at shortstop." Well, what are we twelve years later, and where is he playing? Shortstop, and, and I think uh, you know, unless Montgomery slows down significantly, or you know, puts on a lot of weight, or whatever and has to move to third base, first base, corner outfield, I think he can stay at shortstop.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing is you talk about Corey Seager. When I saw him at Ranch Cucamonga, the thing was he always made every play. There were a lot of projections that he was going to have to move off of short, and sure, if he had put on 30 pounds, maybe he would have, but he kept himself in kind of that lithe, lean figure he's always had, and he just kept making every play he was supposed to, and at the end of the day, that's all you got to do. With Montgomery, though, I think what was most impressive was the bat. Again, this is a Midwest kid, multi-sport kid, not by any means a guy who's baseball only, playing in Florida, Texas, or California, where you expect a super quick mover type. Uh, And he got up to Double A in his first full season, hit for average, got on base, which was really impressive, kind of the the eye he showed and the strike zone discipline, showed some power. He was older for the draft, so he was 20 here his first full season. That is one thing you have to consider, but... Just considering his multi sport, cold weather, Midwest background, I mean, it'd be a good year for any first year player coming out of high school, but especially given his background, it was really promising at the plate.
3: And it's fully expected that more power is going to come. Uh, that's, uh, you know, he's got the swing, he's got the strength. Uh, it, it will come eventually. And we're probably looking at
2: 20 to 25 home run power. Yeah, and I think that's the thing with him that gives you confidence to move him up the top 100. And you mentioned him being the clear cut number one prospect in the system is even if he does move off of short. And again, the White Sox have Tim Anderson there and maybe Colson Montgomery has to go play third, not because of anything he's done, but because you have Tim Anderson there, an all star. There's a sense the bat will still play enough, even if he moves to third, even if he moves to a corner outfield spot. Oh, absolutely. Uh,
3: he's got the bat to play just about anywhere. So wherever they need to put him, and wherever they have, uh, wherever they determine is his position down the road, uh, he'll be
2: able to handle it, and the bat will play. Bill, you mentioned that Montgomery was the clear-cut number one prospect in the system, and you can see that on our top one hundred, he's the highest-ranked White Sox prospect by a pretty clear margin. Um, But Oscar Colas had a really, really good first full season stateside last year. Uh, He was a Cuban player who went to go play in Japan. And there was some intrigue about him being a two-way player. But in reality, he was very clearly a position player first. He signed with the White Sox to be solely a position player. And we see a lot of times young Cuban players, it takes him a year or two to adjust just because the cultural change is so, so huge. And he did have some time in Japan, which helps softens that a little bit. But he's still a young kid. It's a big, big change. And he came out and hit the ground running, got to Triple A, And again, this isn't like he was a 27-year-old. He was 23. I mean, hit for average, hit for power, was aggressive, but he still got on base. And and I have to say, of all the guys at the Futures game that I just personally didn't have a lot of of history with, I knew the name, I'd seen him play on video a little bit, but actually watching him play, take BP, watch him in the game, he was kind of the guy that raised my eyebrows the most Is hey, this guy's a pretty good player, just with the guys I didn't have a ton of knowledge or history with. What kind of fueled his success this year, and what's the outlook for him moving forward? He's just yeah,
3: a good natural hitter, and, and more power is going to come with him. Uh, yeah, and one thing to keep in mind, which uh, if he had slumped this year and you know, gotten off slowly, it would have been easy to point to the fact that he hadn't played any much baseball for the, for a couple of years as, because he waited a year to sign uh, to uh, uh, to get into the next bonus pool. But uh, the fact that he is able to use all fields, that's an important uh, thing. He's not just a strict pool hitter. So um, that's, yeah, I think he'll go to spring training with a chance uh, to win the right field job. They need somebody to win that right field job. And uh, I know they're talking about Putting Eloy Jimenez into the outfield, he's better suited for DH. But uh, and they've been using Gavin Sheets, who's more of a first baseman. So uh, the job is there for Colas. Now, is he ready? Does he need more Triple A time? We'll probably know the answer to that around April first, right?
2: Yeah. And again, it's important to keep in mind, this is someone who has barely 250 plate appearances above a high level. So could he certainly use more time? Yeah, absolutely. But Again, I think he was just a guy that, that came across as, as a really promising player when there was some mystery surrounding him. And again, we talk about his time in Japan. He primarily played in the Japanese minor leagues. He wasn't playing for the big club very much over a soft bank. He only got into seven games with them in 2019. He was playing for their farm team most of the year, and then you mentioned waited a year. To- again, this is not a guy who had a ton of high level experience and had some time off. And the fact that he jumped right in and as successful as he was right away, I, I feel like I didn't ask I me mean, in terms of instincts, his makeup, his ability to adjust quickly, are those things that have come up with him? Cause we all know makeup's a big part of success. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's
3: something that, uh, uh he showed at both levels. So, you know, he was a little old for high a, uh, but, uh, you know he dominated there. He did well, and he didn't take a step back when he went to uh, to double A. Uh, and that's usually a big jump for for most hitters. Uh, they get to see the, they're seeing better pitching at double A, and uh, you know he, he really didn't slow down at, at all. So um, yeah, he's a good instinctual ball player. Uh, he could really stay in center field if they needed him to. Uh, he has the the speed and and and, and the instincts to play there. But uh, he's got a plus arm, and right field is where the White Sox need him. They have Luis Robert in center field. They don't need Colos to play there. Uh, so, um, yeah, I I'm looking forward uh, to seeing him in spring training and see how he
2: looks. Yeah, Bill, these were the top two prospects in the system again by a fairly clear margin. These these are two guys that are on the top 100. The White Sox you mentioned you like their top 10 and there is a collection of of players here that certainly intriguing maybe there's a question mark or two but but they all have talent take us through this next group where's kind of the tier is it three to six three to eight where's kind of this next tier if you will
3: Brian Ramos could be right there uh, not far behind Montgomery and uh, right there with Colas I've seen him ranking pretty high on other systems He's got outstanding makeup. I first saw him as a seventeen-year-old in rookie ball, and the changes he's made to his body—you uh, know—he's strong, but he's he's more slender and better shaped now uh, than he was then. And again, the makeup—he's taught himself English as much as possible. Uh, he can stay at third base. Uh, he's also spent some time at second base in the minor leagues, but he's a natural second or third baseman. Uh, the bat has come around. He's developing more power. And keep in mind, he played rookie ball at seventeen, uh, so he's he's barely into his twenties now. Um, I think he'll be a top hundred player um, by next year.
2: Yeah, he got to Double A Birmingham last year. It was his age twenty season, and he's still twenty. He doesn't turn twenty one till March. One of the things that has come up with him, and, and we got questions about this you know, in the various chats, why isn't he in the top 100? And one of the things that has come up is he's very, 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 very aggressive, and there is some concern. That will lead to some struggles at higher levels. Um, Again, he got to double A for only 21 games last year. You don't want to read too much into that, but that is one general concern that has come up consistently. Just talking to the White Sox, how do they feel about that and how do they see that taking shape here as he moves into double A and potentially triple A this year?
3: Well, and with his age, you know the aggressiveness, uh, you know, and and his willingness willingness to learn. That is one thing that I've heard about. Uh, that he uh, he wants to get better. He wants to. He listens to his coaches. So um, you know, I, I think he'll be able to uh,
2: to get that under control and and continue to hit. Bill, one player I want to ask you about is Sean Burke. This is someone that doesn't get. Talked about in terms of, you know, really intriguing, fast rising pitching prospects, but he was a third rounder out of Maryland only last year, his first full year, got to A, conquered high A, did okay, Double It wasn't great, but it was solid, you know, getting up to A your first full season, um, the scouting reports were great. I should say they were good, not great, but they were very, very good. What do the White Sox have here? Because it, it, again, it's only one year, a lot can change, but so far so good. When he was drafted, I believe he was,
3: you know, he's six foot six. He's a big guy, big, strong kid. Uh, He was projected as more a back of the rotation starter. Now we're getting projections that he could be a number three type starter uh, if he continues along this path. The biggest thing he uh, did this year, besides he's added a bit to the fastball, the biggest thing was getting more consistent and uh, showing confidence.
2: Yeah. Again, he he had Tommy John surgery. He didn't get a ton of time on the mound at Maryland. A basketball player as well in his prep days. So, again, multi-sport um, didn't didn't have a ton of innings in college, and you know, really kind of blossomed that junior year. Is this just a case of again a guy who's maybe blooming a little bit later?
3: I think so. Yeah. Coming off Tommy John, he had only had what probably four or five starts at Maryland. So uh, you know, he's still learning too.
2: Yeah. Well, he got, he came out in 2021. So his four starts, the pandemic. Okay. Year, so right. The you're right. You're yeah. uh, right. Got four starts uh, in 2020 and then, you know, got that full season of uh, 14 starts his junior year at Maryland in 2021. But you're right. I mean, he threw less than a hundred innings in his entire college career over three years for, for different reasons. And so, yeah, I mean, someone who's, who's really coming into his own. I, I know this is someone that scouts kind of raised the flag on for us early in the year. Like, Hey, there's something real here. Keep an eye on this. And, that was when he was still in high A and to get to triple in his first full season. And by all accounts, he did so by his own merits. It wasn't a case of only happening because the White Sox needed bodies at a level that he truly earned it. So yeah, he's, he's a really interesting player. And I think when you look at this White Sox team could be a guy that ends up having a, a pretty good career, maybe ahead of some other guys who ranked ahead of him just in terms of other pitching prospects and other organizations. I highlighted him as someone to watch for 2023 in particular
3: we skipped over one of the key guys here, Noah Schultz, their first rounder from last year.
2: Yeah, I mean, what for you, he didn't pitch a whole lot last year. He had mono. And so the White Sox really took him based off of his looks in the summer and kind of leaning into the year. What were the early reviews on, on Noah Schultz? He's got a high ceiling, but there's high risk. Anytime you have a tall pitcher, he's six foot nine,
3: uh, and anytime, you know, it takes taller pitchers longer to develop. That's just you know a fact that has been proven many years in, in baseball. Uh, he finally got on the mountain instructional league, and I was lucky enough to have stumbled onto the White Sox complex. Uh, the day he was going to pitch his first inning and I looked at the lineup card and there was Schultz. And I said to my, whoever was standing next to me, I said, Oh, Schultz is listed. He must going to be going to pitch. And all of a sudden this man that overheard said, yes, he is. It was his family that had come in to see him. And uh, we had to wait till like the seventh inning until they brought him in. Uh, but I did see him one other time in, in, in structural league. And he really dominated. Uh, yeah. There's still some issues with control and command, but I, I think i saw him for three innings in instructional league and i believe he had eight strikeouts in those three innings uh he's fastball uh up to 96 97 it's coming it's very deceptive because of the arm angle it's coming in and the way he positions his body uh he's got a plus uh slider i hesitate to say this because i don't want anybody to take this the wrong way but I had scouts say he reminded them of a young Randy Johnson, not that he's got that kind of stuff, not that he's going to turn in that kind of pitcher, but the fact that he's this big six foot nine kid that, um, you know, has some deception in his delivery, throws hard and has a, you know, a really good slider. Uh, that's, uh, uh that's, uh, uh, you know, somebody to, to, to keep an eye on. And I know the white Sox are high on them. Uh, when I was at the winter meetings, uh, uh And I, it was the day we dropped the White Sox top ten list, and I did a pod, or a um, not a pod, but a chat session, and then I headed into the hotel for the winter meetings. And the first person I ran into when I walked in the door was Chris Getz, the uh, White Sox farm director. And I said, "Oh yeah, I just did your list," and everything. And then he he said do you have Noah Schultz on there? I said, yes, we do. So obviously, you know, their first round pick they're they're interested in him. But, um, I just say to White Sox fans or anybody just be optimistic, but cautiously optimistic. A lot can go wrong, uh, especially for somebody that young and that tall, uh, with, with those long levers and everything he needs to, uh, control. Um, he's not going to move through the system quickly, but, uh, certainly a guy that, uh, I, I'm glad they
2: took him there. He's going to be interesting to watch. Amen. Yeah, she's a big boy, six foot nine, and uh, we'll see how he continues to grow and develop. All right, Bill, uh, we're going to take a quick break
4: and then we're going to dive into the back half of the system. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
1: every time
0: and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
2: welcome back to another baseball america podcast i'm kyle glazer we're breaking down the chicago white Sox farm system with bill mitchell all right, Bill. We talked about the top half of this top ten, and again, all guys who have a lot of promise. Um, some of whom have gotten up to AAA, others in Double A. So it's not like it's super, super far away either. But there is some depth to the system as well. Take us through this the six to ten group and how you kind of stacked it up, and ultimately why you put guys where you did based off your reporting.
3: One of the big surprises last year was uh, Christian Mena, who uh, had started his career in rookie ball in uh, 2021, 20, uh, went to low A and then to high A. Uh, he's just, uh, you know, I think in his first year we had him ranked somewhere around 20 to 25 on the list. And again, that was in what was a very weak system. Uh, he made such great advancements and had such a good year that, uh, He's up to number six in this organization and certainly one to, to watch. Uh, fastball, 92 to 94, it was up to 96. It has a good life, and he commands his pitches for a young kid. Uh, really good. And when I first saw him in rookie ball, he was still pretty slender. Uh, he's put on about 40 pounds since they first signed him, since he you know, first was in the Dominican Summer League. So he's gotten a lot stronger. Um, the big concern with him was how much he used his curveball. Uh, last year and even before that. Uh, it's a plus pitch, but he uses it more than a fastball, and that's something they're going to address in you know, using the, the fastball more, going to the fastball more often and getting to his changeup. But what was interesting about his makeup, he decided he needed to throw a slider too, and he just kind of worked on it on his own in, in the bullpens uh, and developed a slider that that could be a, a good weapon for him moving, uh, moving forward. So Christian Mena, that is a name to remember.
2: Yeah, he was someone else who came up early in the year just, you know, talking with scouts, and it really is kind of remarkable. And again, you never want to put too much stock into complex league stats. A lot of these guys, whether it's they're in the States for the first time or coming out of college or high school and coming out of long seasons, it just it's not always the best gauge of a player's true ability. At the same time, anytime you see an ERA of nearly eight and giving up 69 hits and 48 and the third innings you know it's certainly not someone that you would necessarily raise the flag on but he went right to Kannapolis this year and was dominant there he moved up to Winston-Salem was okay wasn't as good but still solid and finished the year in double-A as a 19 year old was it just a matter of getting stronger what led to such a remarkable turnaround for Christian Mena
3: well, let me add. When we uh, we've we've said that a lot of the players ended in in Birmingham, uh, in Double A, uh, that was because of the what they did in the fall. Instead of sending the players in structurally, a lot of their pro uh, pro better prospects uh, were promoted to Birmingham. They had like I don't know if it was enough for two teams, but uh, they brought in all the coordinators and everybody. They called it Project Birmingham. So when you hear Kyle say that somebody finished the year in Birmingham. It's because uh,
2: Everyone half this <laughs> list
3: probably was in Birmingham by the end of the year. But I think it was strength and just maturity more than anything
2: with, uh, with Mena. Bill, two guys that fit in the back of the top 10, Jose Rodriguez and Lennon Sosa, were two players who were breakout prospects in a way for the White Sox in 2021 – in 2022, Sosa got up, made his major league debut. Jose Rodriguez had a full year at AA and performed very, very well, showing his uh, performance last season was not just a function of facing A-ball competition. What's the outlook for these two and what what roles do they project to play for the White Sox moving forward? Because they've, they've now strung together two impressive years. Rodriguez uh, had a good second half.
3: He started really slowly, and uh, he was young in double-A, and that was coming after being in the fall league and being very young. Uh, But he he put it together uh, second half of the season until he got hurt. Uh, He got hurt towards the end of the year. But, um, again, he's been young for every level. Is he a starting shortstop moving forward, or is he a utility infielder that could also go to the outfield? Uh, That's a big question, Mark. Uh, with Sosa uh, had been in the organization for a while. I don't think we had him on the top 30, or if we did, it was later in the list uh, in the previous year. But this kid came in on his own, came to Glendale uh, instead of going back home to the to uh, the DSL or I mean to the Dominican Academy, and just worked his butt off, uh, just. One getting stronger, uh, working on conditioning, but then also working on the swing. And uh, when you read his report on the in the prospect handbook, uh, we really elaborate some of the things he went through and just adjusting his swing. Uh, and he made it to the big leagues. He got a few at bats, uh, didn't didn't do much. But uh, I kept him at number ten because I I see. You know, I kept I put him in the top ten, but I kept him at the back of the top ten because I really think it's probably a utility profile playing second base. Uh, he can't play shortstop as a regular, but uh, as a utility player would be good, probably some third base. So uh, I think they may have a pretty decent utility infielder there. But th- the makeup is great, as uh, as I described some of the things he did and, and the work he put in in the
2: offseason. Hey, everyone needs good utility men. And and to be honest, most farm systems, if your number 10 prospect becomes a, a solid utility man, that's that's a really good outcome for a system. Bill, I do have to ask you about Norhe Vera high-profile Cuban signing, uh, signed with the White Sox for $1.5 Really pitched well in his pro debut in the DSL, but he was also much, much, much older than the competition he was facing, so it wasn't the best gauge on his true ability level. Got out this year to full-season ball, and there was some mixed result. He showed some really, really, really impressive stuff that misses bats, but he also showed some really, really, really poor control, 52 strikeouts and 31 walks In 35 in the third innings, 13.2 Ks per nine and 7.9 walks per nine. So on the one hand, you see the stuff to miss bats, but not nearly enough strikes. Again, Cuban player, first full year stateside. It's a big transition. What's the outlook here and and what's kind of next for him in 2023?
3: I think his outlook is we need to wait and see. He's got good stuff, but he missed a lot of time. He missed all the spring training. And most of extended spring training with a lat injury. Um, he finally came back and pitched, or he finally got on the field right towards the end of May for one inning in an extended spring training. Uh, it was the same weekend as the Pac 12 tournament because I went out to Glendale, saw his one inning, a one, two, three inning where he touched 99. And then, um, I headed back over to Scottsdale to uh the Pac-12 tournament. That's how I remember that. And then I was hoping they'd keep him in rookie ball for at least another start or two, but uh no, they sent him out to Canapolis. And I watched a couple of his first outings on uh streaming TV. Uh the big concern we have with him is that his velocity dropped later in the season. Uh and when I talk to people in the White Sox organization, they said, well, he maybe was tired. He hadn't pitched much. Uh, so it's a wait and see. So we've got to see what, what he's got um, when he comes back in the spring. Uh, I do know that he's been working out, uh, that he, he spends time actually living with Jose Contreras, who uh, I'm, I'm not sure what his role with the White Sox is now, but, uh, you know, Cuban pitcher, he pitched uh, until he was very old uh, in the White Sox system and other systems. I think he's with the Yankees. So uh, Contreras has kind of adopted Vera. So, um, uh, you know, he's getting some one-on-one work there. Um, but, you uh, he, you know, he barely, like, I think it was 20 some innings in his first year after signing with the White Sox. He hadn't pitched the year before that. Uh, and then, you know, he was out much of 2022. So he really hasn't pitched that much. Uh, was that the reason that his um, uh, velocity dropped? That's what we, we need to see what he looks like when he comes back in spring training this year. Uh, this stuff is electric. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, you know, there's a, a high ceiling on this guy. But, you know, a lot of unknowns yet.
2: Bill, you mentioned there's depth to the system going as deep as even 15 to 20. There were players that you thought were promising based, again, off your discussions with evaluators, both inside and outside the White Sox organization. Who are some of the guys outside of this top 10 that people should keep an eye on here moving into 2023 and beyond?
3: Right outside the top 10, we had Jonathan Cannon, uh, their third round pick, I believe, third or fourth round pick out of Georgia. Uh, a real pitchability guy. I got to see him one time in instructional league. Uh, it's pitchability in command with him. And back of a rotation starter, but you know he's coming out of the SEC. Uh, did well in his first time out with uh, the White Sox. So um, you know I think he's he's less risk. You know, lower ceiling, higher floor with Cannon. Uh, the one that I'm really interested in seeing what he's doing is is Jordan Sprinkle. Who that was, I believe, their fourth round pick uh, out of uh, UC Santa Barbara. Uh, He was coming into his final college season at UC Santa Barbara. He was projected as a first round pick based on what he had done in his sophomore year. And then the bat disappeared. Uh, But, uh, you know, and what happened, you know, know, he didn't have the power that he showed before, uh, didn't have the feel to hit. So, uh, you know, he's a good defender at shortstop, a plus runner. Uh, so which Jordan Sprinkle will emerge this year for the White Sox? Uh, I think I have him ranked number 19. He could certainly, you know, if he if he shows what he did in his sophomore year of college, he can certainly be a top 10 uh, prospect at this point.
2: Yeah, no, that's a good call. I mean, I, I did a lot of work on Sprinkle out here in SoCal. And, and one of the things with him was, again, the defense is fantastic um he can really 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 shortstop he's just such a good athlete he's quick twitchy he's acrobatic he can do some really good things and you know the bat has been there but he just really 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 struggled really in everything the swing path the impact uh, everything and got to a point where he was dropped to the number nine spot in the order at the same time, in the fourth round, it's certainly a good you know value pick and a guy you take a shot on where, hey, you he can really defend and that'll buy him some time to see if you can get the bat back to where it was as a sophomore because, I mean, when it's right, there was a real, real chance that he could be an everyday shortstop in the major leagues. Maybe they can bring that back this year and see what they can get from him. Uh, Bill, any anyone else in the system that intrigues you at all?
3: Well, I know everybody wants to hear about you all, Cespedes, because. A year ago, he was ranked number two in the organization. Uh, Cuban outfielder, half brother of the famous Cespedes, uh, and went was in fall league, went to Double A, and he's not showing the hit tool that he needs (laughs) to to get to the big leagues. He's a good defender in the outfield. He runs well. He steals bases. So there's a role with him as a fourth outfielder. But uh, when I was asked about him, I said, look at his strikeout to walk rate. That tells the story uh, that uh, he he has to be more selective at the plate. Um, Kyle, you probably saw him in the fall league. What was your take on him when you saw him in the fall league, not this past year, but year before?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, Cespedes, you, you see the name, you see the, the physicality, and and he can certainly put a charge into a ball. Um, but, you know, there, there are concerns about how much contact he's going to make. And, you know, we talk about aggressive, aggressive, aggressive approaches, and, you know, he's, he's going to swing. Um, you know, again, you look at what we saw in Birmingham last year with 154 strikeouts and 29 walks hitters that are that aggressive and, and swing and miss that much and you mentioned the fall league it was the same thing there he struck out 22 times and walked twice um you know there's not a great track record of it working but he's athletic he's physical he has power and again we talk about so much the cuban guys it's a huge 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 adjustment it can take some time and Maybe he goes back to double A this year and is more comfortable and figures some things out in triple A. And, and I do remember getting some good reviews on him in early spring training last year, people thought, Hey, maybe he was getting better and turning a corner. And again, just the aggressiveness was really, really his undoing. But again, you see power, you see speed, you see athleticism Turned 25 at the end of last year. So it's not super old. He's not super young. I think it's more of a, maybe than a, a certainty, but we'll see. And And I guess that, I would throw this question back to you. What is the confidence level, if any, that he figures it out and becomes an everyday big leaguer?
3: That I'm not sure. Uh, I think it depends who you talk to. uh, And I don't think anybody really has that answer. It's up to you, more than anybody to uh, to make the adjustments
2: he needs to make. And is he capable of making them? Yeah, we'll see. Again, it, it's going to be an interesting year for him, whether he goes back to double A or moves up to triple A. But again, you talk about the depth of the system. This was someone who you know, was a top 10 prospect for them last year, and now he's outside the top 10. And some of that's his own struggles, but some of it is also the White Sox system has gotten better, and they've brought in some really good players. Bill, any final thoughts here as we wrap up about the White Sox as a franchise, their farm system, and just the general outlook moving forward? They've also got some
3: sleepers that can help uh... – Improve the system as we're going along, and one I'll talk about briefly here quickly is Drew McDaniel. He was a pitcher at Ole Miss. I recall seeing him the year Ole Miss was at University of Arizona for uh, regional, uh, no, super regional uh, in 2021, and I thought he looked interesting. Uh, he went undrafted. The White Sox signed him. They're high on him. He's got four pitches. Gets good carry on the fastball. That's uh, uh, that's up to 94 and uh, a curveball with plenty of spin. So uh, there there are a number of players like that that are sleepers that nobody knows about that will see uh, what they do this year. Uh, There's also a uh, Panamanian shortstop that uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, Ryan Burroughs, signed for only $70,000, but he had a good DSL season. He plays with energy. Uh, He didn't come to Instructional League because he went back to the country to finish his high school education. Uh, he's already fluent in English, so he uh, I'll be following him when uh, uh, the, the minor leaguers come in, and certainly he'll be in the Arizona League this year.
2: Absolutely. All right, Bill. Well, thank you so much for uh, giving us a rundown of the White Sox system, and uh, we look forward to seeing what these guys can do in the future. We appreciate your time and insight, as always. Thank you for having me, Kyle, as always. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Bill Mitchell, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, everybody.